0: So another possible description for tonight's talk is the intention of the heart, or the heart's intention, if that speaks more directly to you. I would like to begin with a a couple of readings from the Dhammapada. This is called Hate Never Dispels Hate. Hate. Look how he abused me and beat me, how he threw me down and robbed me. Live with such thoughts and you live in hate. Look how he abused me and beat me, how he threw me down and robbed me. Abandon such thoughts and live in love. In this world, hate never yet dispelled hate. Only love dispels hate. This is the law, ancient and inexhaustible. You too shall pass away. Knowing this, how can you quarrel? Harmlessness. All beings tremble before violence. All fear death. All love life. See yourself in others Then whom can you hurt? What harm can you do? He who seeks happiness by hurting those who seek happiness will never find happiness. For your brother is like you. He wants to be happy. Never harm him. And when you leave this life, you too will find happiness. So right intention for most of you, you've probably heard it referred to as the second of the Eightfold Path, following right understanding. It's um, most often stated in the negative form of causing no harm or causing no ill will or uh, avoiding cruelty, and then includes r- right intention to your own liberation. Stated positively, right intention is loving kindness, and thus the opposite of ill will, and compassion as the opposite of cruelty. And then this finding of liberation, this freedom, a way to be in your life in which you are not caught by your wants, by your fears, by your aversions. My own interest in right intention as and in a lot of the Dharma is in terms of how we live the Dharma in daily life so much of the comment tonight is to reflect that so right intention or as far as that goes any intention is what connects you with your values and from Connecting to your values, you go to the next three of the Eightfold Path, which is right speech, right action, and right livelihood. Your understanding creates your values. From whatever you perceive, there arises a series of values that, that seem true to you, that you adhere to. That's a kind of knowing. It's a kind of wisdom. It's intention that takes that understanding, that knowledge into action. So intention is the bridge from your inner wisdom into your living the Dharma. Many times uh, we can emphasize the right understanding and we can emphasize the Uh, practice aspects of the Eightfold Path, right effort, right concentration, right mindfulness, and overlook this right intention. Just as intention, right intention, comes out of the right understanding, as the intention is cultivated, one of the parts of right intention is to have a deeper right understanding. So they support one another, and they're the wisdom aspects together of the Eightfold Path. And then as one uh, lives in a way of, of, of right speech and right action and right livelihood, that clarifies the, the relationship to yourself. It, it purifies it in a way that more understanding can arise. And as more understanding arises, thus the intention improves. And so the right intention for these three aspects builds once again. And the same way, right intention shows up in terms of intending to practice, intending the right effort, and intending the right concentration and the right mindfulness. And then it all feeds back into right understanding. So the Eightfold Path is uh, uh, holographic. It's all tied together. It's, uh, I've said recently it's sort of like string theory. There's, there's many, many dimensions, not just uh, as some sort of two or three dimensions, but multifaceted. And it's really the structure of our lives if we're going to live the life of the Dharma. And that uh, action point, as we'll see, is in right intention. So, uh, this is kind of the macro picture of right intention. There is a micro view that's uh, a very important part of the understanding. And from this view, this understanding, each moment of consciousness can be seen as a feeling arising, which is, going to relate to how we did the meditation tonight, to an intention, responding to that feeling, to a contact with, with yourself in regards to that intention and then a reaction into the world. So intention is in every moment of our lives, whether we know it or not. It is intention that clarifies the energy between what stimulates us and how we respond to it. And we tend to think of intention being somewhere else in that process, but it's really right there at the beginning. Whatever stimulates us, what first touches it is intention. We we don't often notice, but that's how it works. It's what you notice is based on your intention. We'll come back to that. So tonight, I, uh, in the last 10 minutes, I ask you to notice the Vedana, the feeling tone of the moment. This was kind of your homework assignment done in real time. Vedana is the second foundation of mindfulness. Uh, as the Buddha taught, the four foundations of mindfulness, what we should be mindful of in our lives. The first foundation is mindfulness of the body, which is how we started the meditation. And then the second foundation is this vedna, the feeling tone of every moment, whether it's arising in the body or arising in the mental activity. Every moment has a certain feeling tone of pleasant or unpleasant or neutral. In the untrained mind, the mind that has not cultivated intention What arises in the next moment, after a moment, is uh, to a large degree controlled, affected by whether the previous moment was pleasant or unpleasant or neutral. And we don't particularly pay attention to that. It just seems natural to us. Uh, Someone says something we don't like, and that unpleasantness causes the mind to contract. We have a thought that's negative, or we say something, or we act in a certain way. Very easy to see when we're driving in traffic. Very easy to see. But it happens all the time with your significant other, with your child, even hearing a politician make a a comment. We respond without realizing uh, taking a responsibility for our own right speech, right action, right livelihood, just because of uh, of the feeling tone. This is uh, really kind of a critical understanding as uh, practice starts to mature and you uh, bring this intention to take the Dharma into daily life. To notice how affected you are by this pleasant and unpleasant and neutral, when in fact it's only unpleasant. All of the story we add, all of the uh, justification though what's called papancha Mind, this explosion of associations and belief systems that we, we pile into this one moment that arose out of something being pleasant or unpleasant, it entraps us if the mind is not clarified through mindfulness. So the role that intention plays is that it takes acts as a kind of uh, filter so that that pleasant and unpleasant and neutral remain just that. They don't, uh, as it were, if they were a little child who was responding, imagine a five-year-old getting upset or wanting this or seeing the ice cream. You're happy to have your five-year-old in the car with you but you certainly wouldn't put the five-year-old behind the wheel of the car. The feeling tones are like your five-year-old. They're welcome. They make life rich. We would not want to dull them. This is one of the misunderstandings about Buddhism where it's, it gets referred to as nihilistic or there's no life in Buddhism. That's nothing to be further from the truth. It's letting things stay where they are. You're seeing a beautiful sunset, and it's wonderful. You can have a number of reactions to this. You can immediately go to your mind and go, I really like having these beautiful sunsets. I want to come up here every week and see this and start planning and miss the sunset. (laughs) Or you just stay with the sunset. What causes that planning to start? Because the pleasantness took over the mind and a kind of greed... That greed is, and we hear greed with a uh, sinful or not sinful uh, extra uh, judgment on it. It's greed as just this kind of uh, clinging. It's, It's not, we're not judging it as sinful. We're judging it as skillful or unskillful. We're discerning. We're not judging at all. We're discerning skillful or unskillful. And the same way, with something, you're you're in a situation where someone is getting on your nerves and you just start bracing against it and you start imagining, oh, if I could just stop this person from doing whatever it is. All of that energy, all of that contraction intensifies what is unpleasant. So instead of just staying unpleasant, it becomes a complete storm. And then you go home and yell at the dog and turn over the trash can, whatever it is you do. So um, intention is right there with you in this moment. Oh, it's unpleasant and these are my values. This is how I wish to respond. Oh, it's pleasant and these are my values. I want to stay here with the sunset and feel this gratitude that in this moment it's like this. Does that make some sense to you? So, for this, uh, because of this uh, kind of intermediary role that um, intention plays, it's referred to as volition. And it's the point of, uh, uh, to use a phrase that's got its own connotations in the uh, uh, Judeo Christian world, but it is our point of free will, it's our point of choice. It's where we have some voice in what's happening to us. From the Buddhist psychology, we don't get to choose what is arising in this moment very much. All of these things arise all out of our control. You may have noticed that. (laughs) So, not much to do about that but that moment when it has arisen with its pleasant or unpleasant or neutralness and we meet it with our intention that's when we get to dance with life we get to participate we get to have a direct relatedness to our life experience through our intention so it's it's a very important part of our life if we have not cultivated intention, then whatever arises, we just respond to based on its pleasant and unpleasant aspects and how we see that continuing. When, when I referred over and over again to um, this right intention, Always remember that it's not just arising arbitrarily like, okay, what's my intention in this moment? It's not that kind of intention. It's the intention that's arising from the values because you're, you're seeing a moment opportunity. How you experience it is coming from your values. It may or may not be clear to you how to act skillfully in the moment, and you may misperceive what is skillful in the moment. You can only do that as well as you can do it. But you can be grounded in knowing what your values are and knowing that you are intending to come from those values as best you're able, that that's how you're going to meet life. And it's such a grounding. It relieves you of so much uncertainty about what's important. You know what's important. From uh, the Buddha's teaching in this micro level of volition it is the intention that creates the skandhas the karmic formations of the moment. So um, you are in a situation and you say something or you do something. It may have turned out to be skillful or may turn out to be unskillful. Most of the effect of that in your life is not on, based on the outcome, but it's based on what was your intention. So the, 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 the creation of karma, karma is seed, so it's, it's, there is an, an action in a moment that creates a seed, Karma then blooms later on, but the the actual moment of the karma is the creation moment of the karma in this moment. So in this moment for all of us, it's a moment of which karma, the, the seeds of karma are blooming. You're here at Spirit Rock. You're here with a sangha that supports what you care about. In this moment, you're creating future seeds by your, 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 your uh, speech and, and your actions this evening. So there's, there's this two aspects to it. Keep in mind that the Buddha said that one of the four imponderables was understanding karma. <laughs> so we're not to uh, try to grasp a full understanding of karma, but to understand its play as we can feel it as, as we are living our lives. We can understand karma as the way it was classically understood uh, in, in uh, the time of the Buddha, as uh, that there are many lifetimes, and some karma blooms in the very moment that, it, that the action takes place, then that, that very next moment there is a consequence, or that it comes later in this lifetime, or it comes in another lifetime. Or you can simply believe that whatever you do in this lifetime and this moment affects you later in this lifetime or that it affects those you love later in this lifetime or in the moment or that it is moment to moment, that this moment is conditioned by the next moment and so forth. It's, this moment is conditioning the next moment and so on. You, you can have whatever smorgasbord of, of interpretations and uh, uh, feelings about that, that that you may have. I'm not really here to talk about that, but however you find it to be true, to understand that intention is the key role in that. It's the key point. It's the pivot point that's going to really affect this. (coughs) The good news in that is that we so often feel helpless in our life. Uh, Right now I think many people are feeling very helpless in terms of our society and certain decisions that are being made and actions taken that are uh, challenging to the heart and uh, maybe not even make sense to the mind in terms of uh, the practical arguments for them. We always have this opportunity to relate to difficult situations on a societal level or a personal level through our own intention of how we respond. So we are never... Helpless in all ways, although there is much feeling of helplessness in any given moment that uh, out of something that's arising, and we we get very reactive to that helplessness or, or to our disagreement with something, and we contract and we become stilted. We, uh, we, we become in some ways the very thing that we are disapproving of. Intention is what cleans all of that up so right intention serves two purposes in terms of these skandhas these uh, karmic formations in one sense what it does is when this um, moment uh, when in, in this moment is arising you're getting to control your future seeds that's great the second thing which is uh, more subtle but is uh, very important it also affects how you experience the seeds that are blooming from the past. Say, for instance, that you've, you have had a, a very bad day. And uh, so you've gotten very tense. And just a number of things went wrong. That's the way it was. That was the blooming of the karma in that moment. So you're in a very bad mood. Uh, the, you listen to the radio on the way home, get in a worse mood. <laughs> and um, uh, you, you then go home and uh, your significant other uh, does something that you interpret as uh, insensitive to you or wrong or an attack or whatever you see it. And there arises this uh, heat of anger or a vulnerability, or disappointment, whatever it is. You couldn't control all of that. It's happened. It's the blossoming of the karma. But, through right intention, what might have been an action gets reduced to just a word, or what might have been words stay only thoughts, Or what might have been negative thoughts arise and pass faster or less intense so that, therefore, you don't later on act on them. Because you are grounded, because this uh, early kind of radar system is meeting that moment with that is your intention, it is having a mitigating factor. You are participating in your life's experiences without having to be in control of it. Is this clear? Okay. So from the Abhidhamma, from the, the Buddhist psychology, in, intention moves the mind to an object. That is, it it's what you notice is, is coming in part out of your intention, not totally, but in part and then it selects out of what it notices as to what's important, and then it interprets. It makes a story about it in some way, and then you act. T.S. Eliot, uh, quoting, uh, the, the, slightly changing the quote, but uh, working with the quote from Hildegard, the 13th century mystic, uh, said a wonderful line, All shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well by the purification of the motive in the ground of our beseeching. All shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well by the purification of the motive. The purification of the motive in the ground of our beseeching. That's intention. That's intention. It is not on that spectrum of sinful or not sinful. It's on that spectrum of skillful, of being of the Brahma Vaharas or not. Skillful or not. this Purifying, freeing or not. Causing harm or not causing harm. Loving kindness or compassion or not loving kindness and compassion. If loving-kindness and compassion are present as you heard from the Dhammapada, then you will not cause harm. You will not cause harm. And in not causing harm, you are free. I make a distinction between intention and goal. That is just, uh, I have found it helpful in my life and in working with the yogis with whom I work. Intention is the the manifestation of your values in this moment. Goal is where you're going. So uh, it gets very confusing if you say, well, my intention is to accomplish X, Y, and Z because it takes you out of the moment. You're in future time. But to have a goal that is organizing how you're going to allot time over time over a period of time and intention how you're going to be each moment in that process to me that's clarifying that intention is right now goal if if i'm if my if, if my goal is to go out the door my intention is how do i go out the door without stepping on your toes or or walking over your heads and uh, that can seem like a funny analogy but as, as you just uh, as you, uh, as you know from when there's times of panic and all, people hurt each other because in their panic, they lose any sense of the right now. They're going to get out of that building, get off that ship, whatever they're going to do in such a way that they abandon any sense of a connectedness to life, and they do harm. When people act in, as a tribe, the same thing happens. They get fixated. It may be over a longer period of time, but there's a very similar kind of energy where there's this kind of panic to be safe, you know, or this, uh, uh, I'm going to get revenge, this meeting hatred with hatred. That's got that same uh, panicked element of being in an enclosed situation where there's a fire. And the goal takes away any intention. You see, the intention gets lost in the goal. So insofar as you find that helpful, you might work with that. And if it's not helpful, drop it. Another thing that comes up is that uh, people will say, yeah, but what about this thing about the road to hell is paved with good intentions? People really like to uh, <laughs> get on that one. My answer to that is that uh, those that idea of good intentions is actually a very abstract in the future kind of experience. And it's, it's not actually being with the person in the moment. It's some idea about how you think someone else should be in some future time. All I wanted to do was make sure they understood this. Or, well, I just had their best interests at heart and they needed, it was in their best interest to do this. All some future, schematic, theoretical, conceptual-based action not connected to this moment. Thus, the value of intention. What's true right now? This moment is like this. The value of the first foundation of mindfulness, why I took you through So many details of that tonight is if you can find a way to be in the moment, then you can access your intentions. If you can't be in the moment, you have very little chance of it. Our emotions so often pull us out of our bodies and out of the moment. We get caught in past future. We're not in the moment at all. How do you come back into it? Through the body, through the feeling tone of the body, you go, oh, this moment's like this. There's anger present. I'm, there's there's fear. Fear has arisen in this moment. So using the body, using this first foundation of mindfulness to stay present in order to act out, to come from, to be grounded in, to reference, to see through, to be uh, a, a mirror of our intentions based on our understanding. It's not that you're not going to make mistakes. Of course you're going to make mistakes. Otherwise, you wouldn't need to practice. You know, we'd all be sitting with you because we don't have many people in our lifetime who seem to be free of making mistakes. But the mistakes, when we're grounded in our intentions, are just that—they are mistakes. It doesn't mean that we don't have to take responsibility for them. Of course we do. If we do an unskilled action, it's our responsibility to make it whole as best we're able, and we have the right, as members of a community, to hold each other to that. But that's a very different dynamic than wanting to punish someone or to get revenge and. Uh, very different. Not meeting hate with hate at all from right intention. We're also not comparing ourselves to the ideal of perfection. Perfection being a concept, but discerning what our intentions are in this moment and acting as best we can in this moment. This perfection pulls us out of the moment. It goes to an unreal place where there is nobody. You, you're never perfect. What do you mean compared to perfect? It, it, has, no, it has no relevance. But in relation to your values, and oh, was this with my value or not with my value? Oh, that wasn't skillful. Can I do this next moment better? Just staying here, staying in some range of connection. So then what about mixed motives? I've actually been asked this a lot on retreats because people come in and um, they've had some uh, insight in terms of something they're doing in their life or they have done and they've realized that the story they had told themselves was was not uh, a true story, that their motives had been less pure or that... um, They had had a big misperception about uh, what they were doing. Uh, Eliot says it this way the shame of motives late revealed, and the awareness of things ill done and done to others' harm. So much of our lives, we have mixed motives. We want to do the right thing, but we also want people to know we did the right thing. You know, And other times we want to do the right thing and we want people to know we did the right thing and we want others to know that Joe here really didn't know how to do the right thing. It's our nature. So uh, the Buddha actually knew this. There's actually, in the uh, uh, Majjama Nikaya, there's a whole sutta when he talks about mixed motives. And in his usual way, he says, there are dark intentions that yield dark results. There are bright intentions that yield bright results. But there's also bright and dark intentions that yield bright and dark results. So his teaching uh, knew that this was true. And so that's where we start from, is right here, with our mixed intentions, if that's what's arising. So important to start here. How can you start someplace you are not? But how many times do you get that confused? And you know who you wish you were, and you try to start from there, and it doesn't work very well. <laughs> it's, it's a big problem. <laughs> so um, there was a, a, a wonderful woman that died a few years ago named Helen Luke, who was a Jungian psychologist and ended up the last uh, part of her life with a spiritual center up in Michigan. Uh, had a big influence on me, her writing did. And uh, she talks about wishing that you had the right intention or even wishing that you wished that you had the right intention. (laughs) And it's true. It's true. Say there's someone that you just can't forgive, that you're just furious about. It is a big difference if you can switch just that much and wish that you wished that you didn't have that. I mean, we are really doing the micro steps here. I have seen in yogi after yogi this understanding dawn and grow. And I have seen the results in terms of a harmony in their lives. So for you to explore for yourself, if this is true, always exploring for yourself, All the teachings are for your empowerment, not to be taken as somebody else's law, not even the Buddha's law, but to see for yourself. So, this uh, thing about mixed motives, one of the ways that you will occasionally encounter right intention translated it will be translated as right aspiration. And that's useful in this sense that you are in a situation and your motives are what they are. There is an aspiration aspect to working with right intentions, this wishing that you wished. So aspiration is one of the qualities of right intention. I... Uh, stress one of the qualities because it's very easy to uh, get lost in the future and create a kind of duality where there's a self here now that that's not the way it's supposed to be and there's a self somewhere in the future that you're aspiring to get to. It's not intended like that. It's a question of in this moment aspiring as best one is able. In our understanding, there is not a static self to be judged. So why would you bother to judge? There's no one there that is going to stay there. So that judging is, again, creating a kind of separation. Discerning is different than the judging. So we discern. We try to see this moment is like this. Again, going back to the meditation, meditation. For you to be able to notice what's true in this moment is an empowerment. If your mindfulness is not uh, cultivated to be sufficiently habitual and also to be able to withstand a certain amount of storm, it's very hard to know what this moment's like. So it's very hard to, in fact, manifest your intention. If you're going to work with um, uh, uh, right intention as an aspiration, um, it's uh, uh, maybe skillful for you, you can try this, to first of all get used to acknowledging when in fact there's, there's mixed motives the trouble with judging is it makes you deny mixed motives but if you've let loose of judging this moment's like this then there's room for those mixed motives to be there and you don't have to treat that as a heavy thing i don't know how many of you know the old blues songs if it if if it if it wasn't for bad luck i wouldn't have any luck at all <laughs> so in the same way you can say if it wasn't for mixed motives i wouldn't have any if it wasn't for mixed motives i wouldn't have any intention at all so and um, in, and in, there's a there's a lightness to this it's uh it's without this judging and then a compassionate feeling towards yourself mara's got you at this moment you know those binds are around you of your mixed motives and there's dukkha in that and to see oh that's dukkha you see the the mindfulness is not like you're supposed to Get rid of all those mixed motives. That's what's true right now. But you can see the suffering in it. Oh, this is causing me suffering. If you can actually clearly see the suffering, it will in time self-liberate. Just as though uh, this, this, for some reason, this, this was pressing down on my thigh and I had suddenly started holding on and pressing it down even more. If I stay with this unpleasantness mindfully, I eventually realize, oh, my pressing down is adding to the pain. I am creating the suffering through clinging to this experience. If I let it go, eventually it falls away. Not quite that fast, but eventually. So the mindfulness works as a way of bringing us back to our intentions, and then the, the, in, the, the intentions start to clarify. They, they clean themselves, as it were. I uh, often tell people that it's more skillful, in my experience at least, to start by being mindful of the positive motive in the moment. What is the right intention that's present here? And then notice the wrong intention, and then come back to the right intention. The reason for this is that it's that the, there's a kind of energetic relatedness to the experience of right intention. And that's got a, a very uh, empowering and uh, uplifting kind of energy to it. And so then f- when that spaciousness is present, then we're going, oh, and look at all these other things I'm wanting in this. So look at how, how mixed it is. It it actually buoys that up and uh, helps with you seeing the... Parts of you that are more difficult to be with, and then to come back to this positive of the right intention is because that's where energy follows attention, so we keep our attention on the positive. Uh, this is part of what the Buddha means by right effort uh, in terms of there's a whole teaching about the right effort, which is when something when the, when we're called in the negative uh, to abandon it, if we see the negative arising to uh, move away from it, and then to stay with the, 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 the right intention. So this is all part of right effort in this way. And again, it's insofar as we're able, and it's this moment, it's not some judging. It's not some judging. So, intention is our uh, avenue to freedom. Right intention can take any solid rock and just like water slowly it purifies, it cuts a path through there. Therefore the more we cultivate the right intention the more water-like flow, energetic flow there is that has this uh, renewing aspect in our lives. It's An opportunity that is, uh, from my view, not to be wasted once you become aware of it. Because right intention is like a muscle that can be built up. Right intention is like a habit in that it can become the default. It can become the automatic in the moment. So you don't have to, like, regather yourself. You know your intention. You just automatically come from where your intentions are. Not perfectly perfectly. But far more than you would otherwise, it's also like an oak tree that each each moment that you have a, a a right intention arise, it leaves, it scatters all these seedlings that become other right intentions in the future or right moments of right intention, and it's like a flower in that it responds to being cultivated. So, it's to be worked with. It's available to be worked with. Some things are very daunting, like, where do I begin? But this isn't one of those. This is very accessible in whatever step we're each capable of right now. The Buddha had a fourth, uh, one of those categories in his the bright and the dark and the bright and the dark, and that was neither bright nor dark. Mm -hmm. And it creates neither bright nor dark results. That's the, the manifestation of the arahant, where there is no karma created. Can you imagine? No karma. So there's still action, but it has no karmic effect. I mentioned that only for the uh, so full spectrum of what's possible. And we can start with this little step right now of just being mindful of our intentions and cultivating them. Intention is also listed as one of the paramis or the perfections. I don't know if you've been here any evening when someone's talked about the paramis, the the perfections. Uh, and it's re- it's referred to in its parmi aspect as right resolve or resolve. And that is the uh the kind of determination to stick with something so you have this resolve to stay with your values even when the world isn't supporting your values even when your family isn't supporting your values not your this is not your emotions, not your, your your reacting to pleasant and unpleasant and neutral I'm talking about, but your underlying values of of not causing harm, of being loving kindness, assuming these are your values of 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 not being an, a person of aversion that you, the resolve is to stick to this that's so just as there is an aspiration energy that sometimes comes into play, so there's this determination aspect. So that's kind of where this willfulness comes in. There's a kind or of discipline. But it's just like aspiration is to be treated lightly, so is resolve. Because we can get very mechanical, we can get violent towards ourselves, we can uh, get into some sort of theoretical uh, relationship to the moment through... I'm going to do this. What I know is the right values, no matter what. Where there's no there's no actual relatedness to it, but still, it's very useful to know about right aspiration and right resolve. So, how does this come back to this moment? You start where you are. Whatever's true right now is true right now. However clear your intentions are in the first place, what are your values? That's you work with those to clarify those from wherever you are, and whatever's arising through right intention right now, that's where you start. I took you through uh, returning to the breath as aiming and sustaining. In the Pali, this is Wataka and Wacharya, these are two of the five factors of, of absorption, and they are really critical energetic relations uh, to the moment. To be able to make a clear contact to your intention is that aiming, just as it's, you, make, you come into the moment by making a clear contact with this moment's like this. The sustaining aspect is that you, you're there at home and something comes up with your significant other and you, there's this moment you go, oh, this could really turn into a fight. And you you know it's wrong that you, there's a total filling of wrongness. You come into the awareness of that in the most, I, I love this person. This is this is all. But then something else is said and you lose it. Right? <laughs> the 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 vacharya that sustaining is that moment when you came into contact, when you knew what was right. You knew what you really cared about. The ability to sustain it is really important. And how many times? Can you think of in your life that you've known what you really cared about and you actually had this little moment when it crossed your mind, but you couldn't hold on to it? You couldn't stay with the intention of the heart, but you knew the heart's intention, but you couldn't stay with it. This is this this uh, practice of uh, so simple with the breath of, of intending to make the contact, making the contact, and then staying with it. We're building up this muscle to do the same thing with intention. So it's like a safe place to practice, a safe place to build this new habit. So as we start to see that we can do this, and we start to see clearly that pleasant and unpleasant and neutral are just that, and as as we learn to stay in the moment, we, in fact to start dancing with our own life from our heart's intention. We start to, in fact, be able to purify the motives in the ground of our beseeching. And life, whatever form it is, however pleasant, however difficult, is richer, more alive, more meaningful because we have this direct experience, this relatedness. This is right intention the heart's intention so <laughs> any questions comments in the back stand up please oh yes i the other three they have to do with the, the, the mind of a buddha uh, the mind in, um, when the mind's in meditation, when it's in jhana, and um, I'm forgetting the fourth at this moment. <laughs> it, it seems that, um, that the step one though, and you did talk about it a little bit, is that you have to know, um, you know, what your, what your motives are, or what your um, value system is, and could you just comment on that a little bit? Do you just think that by meditating you, like what you were talking right. about clarifying your yeah. your value system? Well, um, it, as as one grows in life, as one just has more life experience, it becomes more and more clear whether one has a meditation practice or any kind of spiritual practice that you act according to values. And so those of you who are in some way involved, and you're here, so you're at least somewhat involved in developing your inner life. That developing the inner life clarifies, creates your values, the right understanding. Right understanding. This is what matters in life. This, I understand, causes suffering. This, I understand, doesn't cause suffering. I understand that I would rather not suffer, and I'd rather not cause suffering. That's the, the right understanding. And then out of the right understanding comes this right intention. So the, And in any given moment, when I talk about motives, the motives can have, you know, some of the motives may be motives that are going to cause suffering, but some aren't. You know, you're, you're mixed in that moment. You're a human being. That's okay. You start right there. Okay. Anyone else? Um, can you talk about uh, my experience of sitting with fear... Stand up a little bit. Can, will you stand up, yeah, so they can hear? <laughs> My experience in um, sitting with fear is that it tends to snowball. As much as I try to be with it, it just gets bigger and bigger. So, any helpful hints? Yeah, this is a an experience that a lot of people have with fear. Is okay. that it? It 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 really does grow exponentially. The other thing about fear is that uh, uh, fear in one area uh, can, all the other fears can grab hold and just leech onto that so that every fear that you have ever had (laughs) can show up in one moment and you don't even notice it, but that's where all that heat, all that energy comes from. I write a column for Yoga Journal Magazine called Dharma Wisdom, and it so happens that this month I wrote on fear. So you can look at that if you you like. But the, the first thing is to be able to say this moment's like this. Fear is present. And to notice the unpleasantness of fear, and go, oh, unpleasant, unpleasant, and to see how it's effect it's taking over the whole nervous system, you know, that Shh, there you're going. And then to be able to ground yourself in the body in that moment, with the fear present. So say for you, I don't know where fear shows up in the body, in the belly, or tight throat, or eyes burning, or so like that, yeah. So, dropping your awareness into the feet so that there is some part of you that's present to receive this fear. And then so that you can make the contact with it and stay with it so that that in not holding on or resisting it, it will have its own life cycle. We tend to interrupt the life cycle of fear and we keep, so we're renewing it. It's like there's a little eddy and the water's caught this eddy and it just keeps bouncing against it. And then we panic. And so then we add on more and then we add on judgment. And then we think of this story about when we were a little kid and da-da-da. And, you know, it's 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 gone. And also the, bo- the body will become a repository of our fear. So it gets locked in in body ways too. It's a very kind of a long thing about this. The the Buddha in the uh, Majima talks about when he would go out in the, the jungle and to meditate, and when fear would arise, whether he was standing, lying down, walking, or sitting, he would not move from that position until he had been completely with fear and seen it arise and pass. So I'm given kind of a modern-day you know, version of that. He was having to be concerned with tigers and such. Our, our fears are much more... Uh, Subterranean, because so much of our fears are the, the fear of, of the existential fear of lack of meaning, of the instability of a, a kind of a modern life and so forth. So just fear. It's just fear. Fears like this come into this body. What is my intention? Find compassion for myself, loving kindness for myself. And yes, this too. It's not me nor mine, but this too. Till it completes its cycle. I'm, I'm going to have to stop now. Um, I've enjoyed being <laughs> with you, and uh, I hope to see some of you next week, and then the week after. Jack will be here. I want to end with a little blessing, so please don't leave. So I just want to say the, uh, the announcements first, which is that uh, if you can stay and help... Uh, Stack chairs, that would really help, and no more than six chairs high, and please check for personal items, and remember to turn right at the end of the roadway and uh, be careful uh, on the highway. So let's just sit together for one moment as we end. Letting the words as concepts, as ideas go. The direct experience in the belly and particularly in the heart, however the heart's intention was stirred, let that be what goes home with you. May you be safe from internal and external harm, May you have a calm, clear mind and a peaceful, loving heart. May you be physically strong, healthy, and vital. May you experience love, joy, wonder, and wisdom in this life just as it is. And may the merit of our actions this evening be to the benefit of all beings who are in danger at this time and serve in some way to the liberation of all beings everywhere. Thank you very much.